if I was driving in the car and I kept checking and checking and checking, or if my husband kept saying to me, did you do your check? Can you check again? Are you sure? Because remember, that's one of Worry's stock phrases is, are you sure? And that's when it becomes problematic. As you're listening to this, you want to recognize how often are you doing it? And it may be that you're constantly saying something over and over and over again, or it may be that there's just constant chatter about what could happen in all sorts of different situations. So that's how we look at worry is that you're practicing for this tragedy or practicing for this bad outcome that's not happening. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. Hey, Lynn. Hi, Robin. So I'm very intrigued by this episode today. Tell us what we're talking about. We are talking about worry as rehearsal for tragedy. Yeah, which is basically what worry is. Worry is you you think about something horrible, you imagine it, you go through it in your brain, you put yourself through this torture of seeing this terrible outcome. That's what worry is, basically. But, well, there's two things about it. One is that it's super common. We all tend to do it. Being exposed to bad things, like hearing about bad things, watching the news, listening to things, the total inundation of all of the information we get doesn't help. And it disguises itself as problem solving. And people believe that it's helpful, necessary, it does some good. And I'm here to say, no, it doesn't. This is going to be very interesting because this is a lot about semantics and a lot about when you label something as such, let's unpack what you mean, what it really is, because I have a million questions already just from what you said. So why don't you walk us through this? Okay. So there is a difference between worry and anxiety, just in terms of the definitions that we use in the field. And so is it important to make that distinction? Sort of. Does it help you to be more informed and use the terms more correctly? Yes. So I'll tell you. Worry is the cognitive process that happens up in your prefrontal cortex. So when you're worrying, you're imagining, you're thinking, you're creating that movie up in your head, you're going over something over and over and over again. Worry is generally geared toward the future. So you're worrying about what will happen, what could happen, what might happen. When we look at the definition of anxiety, per se, so technically, it's defined as the physical reactions that happen in your body when you set off your fight or flight system, when you are not actually needing a fear response. So if all of a sudden, you know, you're walking down the street and a car comes careening towards you or you're walking in the woods and a, well, actually this happened to me once I was, I was hiking And a partridge came out on the trail and started going after me. And it scared it. it, My husband still makes fun of me because a partridge is like a little grouse bird. But anyway, so something comes at you and you have this big response. You have this fear response. That's not anxiety. 
Anxiety is when you have the fear response because you're imagining something or you're overestimating the problem. David Barlow's definition, overestimating the problem, underestimating the resources to deal with it. So that's what it is. It's that your body's responding to the grizzly bear Mm -hmm. or your body's responding to you thinking about the grizzly bear. Right. Or your body is responding to the actual daddy long legs, but the daddy long legs is not a grizzly bear. Is not a grizzly bear, but you're acting as if it is this dangerous thing. So an example of that might be just like a distant thunderstorm. So there's some rumbling thunder in the background or even a black cloud that's coming across. You're responding as if lightning has just hit your house but it's just some rumbling in the distance or it's a black cloud in the distance without it any even thunder or lightning. That's the overestimation of the problem. Correct. Which is why you also use a mantra, which is very great. This is not an emergency because you're sort of telling your brain, no grizzly Mm -hmm. bear and lightning did not strike my house. Right. And thunderstorms in general. Now here, here comes into the problem solving. Say you're worrying or say you're thinking about a thunderstorm There are certain things we do that you should do if there is some thunder and lightning coming towards your house, right? You should get out of the pool. You should go into the house. Sometimes if there's a big lightning storm in our house, we'll unplug our computers. And in the old days, I think you used to get off the phone. Do you remember that? Yes. When you were little, was that thing like, get off the phone and and don't take a shower, right? So I don't know how many people have actually been struck by lightning while they're talking to Aunt Gladys or while they're actually in the shower. But what we want to think about is this worrying that happens and how it actually sets off an anxiety response, remember, because the poor little amygdala is just hanging out there waiting for some data. And how do you worry in a way that doesn't lead you to problem solving, that actually impedes your ability to problem solve because you get so absorbed in it. So what I see very often, because I work with worriers all the time, and I know a lot of worriers actually, is creating this story that hasn't happened and then getting so involved in it and so absorbed in it that then you begin to change your plans or you avoid things. Remember, worry just loves to help you avoid things. And you can't enjoy much of anything because you're always practicing for the tragedy. And it's not really fun to watch the movie of a tragedy that actually hasn't happened to you. Some people like to go to movies that are about tragedies. I was just listening to an interview with Tom Hanks and they were, oh no, no, it was with Steven Spielberg actually, talking about Saving Private Ryan. Have you ever watched that movie? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I won't watch it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no, no, you should watch it. I know, but I think, why do I want to watch like this? Like it's about sons dying. Mm, Kind of, but it's about a lot more than that. Towards the end of the film, there's an incredibly powerful scene sort of showing very realistic emotional responses to finally being in battle. I know, I don't want to see that. Well, that's like saying Jaws is about friendships on a boat. (laughs) Which it it sort of was. There is that great scene where they all connect. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll reconsider. But anyway, my example of that is Saving Private Ryan. I've always been very, I guess, downright resistant to watching that movie because it's putting me into a place that I don't want to go. Okay. Well, it's not like I'm going to roll my eyes like 
you had not seen Inside Out. Because <laughs> that one was a little different. <laughs> I don't know. I did think Saving Private Ryan had many redeeming qualities. My father was a veteran of the war, and his role in the war is very covered in the movie as well. And I, I just feel like accepting the discomfort of seeing what they went through is in some way like acknowledging and honoring it. So I had that personal motivation. Okay. All right. Well, no, I totally get that. Okay. Well, so now my example isn't so good. <laughs> Do you want to stick with Jaws? Yeah, I'll stick with Jaws. <laughs> yeah. A movie about friends on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Before your family goes on vacation to the ocean, don't watch Jaws. <laughs> to Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> Martha's Vineyard. Don't watch Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> Martha's Vineyard is where it was filmed for those of you who are not from New England, not from New England and who are not old like us. Yeah. That was the movie that terrorized our childhood. I, I have to say, like, if we just want to talk about all of our first, our most primal patterns of worry, it's like shark fins right? <laughs> yeah. because of right. seeing that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Okay. Well, let's take a break and then we'll come back and get serious. Okay. All right. I am really working on improving my diet by making sure that I get the best quality products, organic foods, and I really want to make sure that I'm not using harsh chemicals in my home. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials, the convenience of getting everything online and then quickly shipped to my doorstep. That is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. I can use their filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So maybe you're looking for organic snacks for your kids, or maybe you're gluten-free. As a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. You will too. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily, always has some of my favorite brands. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one -one membership matching program. You join, they give. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash flusterclucks. Thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks. How are those New Year's resolutions going? Well, many are destined to fail. But lucky for you, here's one easy resolution idea that we gave you that we can all make and it will make your life easier. It'll be kinder to our planet and it will transform the way you do laundry in 2024. And that is switching to EarthBreeze. EarthBreeze looks like dryer sheets, but it's ultra-concentrated laundry detergent and it couldn't be easier. You just throw a sheet in with your laundry in any temperature and you watch it dissolve in any wash cycle hot 
hot or cold. There's no measuring, there's no mess, there's no fuss, there's no wasteful plastic jug. EarthBreeze fights everyday stains and odors, giving you an amazing clean every time. The best part is you'll never run out again thanks to EarthBreeze flexible subscription that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you'll save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Shipping's always free and it comes in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. So switching to EarthBreeze won't only make laundry day easier for you, but it will also be easier on the planet. So help me make plastic jugs a thing of the past. And if EarthBreeze doesn't end up being the 2024 update of your dreams, you don't even have to return it. Just let them know it's not for you and you'll get a full refund, no questions asked. Get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks. That's earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks for 40% off your subscription. we're back. Robin, if we're talking about worrying and we're talking about how it gets in the way and how it's rehearsing for tragedy, how it's putting you in a place that is a hard place to be, a difficult place to be, what we want to differentiate is when is worrying helpful? And when, you know, if we're talking about semantics, when is worry actually problem solving? When are you thinking ahead? You know, like I've said, the thing we said to our boys all the time was think one step ahead. And so when does worry take on that role of helping you be prepared? And when does it just get in the way and activate your anxiety, activate that part of you that says, I'm out, no thank you. That's the important distinction we want to make. Well, I think every every mom listening can relate to the fact that if they didn't have the skill of thinking a step ahead and preparing, the idea of taking a baby out of the house and what you packed in a diaper bag, right? Mm -hmm. You get a lot of practice thinking about, I could need this, I could need this, I could need this. And then that's also like a litmus test. Some people's diaper bags look like carry-on luggage. (laughs) (laughs) And then other people got Uh. with a much smaller diaper bag too. Guess which category I was in. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. You're like, who needs a diaper if we've got some paper towels? Yeah. Well, remember I told you we went to feed the ducks at the park nearby and I just brought a bag of bread. But the bag of bread was actually the snack that I had for the kids because I had run out of snacks. So people were like, oh, is that what you're going to use to feed the ducks? No, this is what I'm going to use to feed my kids. They like bread. It was fine. Well, that's a good example, right? So the diaper bag and what's in the diaper bag. And if we look at it sort of as as a new mom, right? My friend Christine and I often say that when you see a new mom with their first baby, you just have to look away. It's just so painful to watch them go through all of that because that's what they're trying to figure out. Right. And I think the diaper bag from birth until, I don't know, six months, maybe up to a year is like your traditionally packed diaper bag. And then after that, you might just have literally, I mean, I know by the end of my seconds child, I had Mm -hmm. a little thing that was a diaper changing pad that held one or two diapers and and a few wipes. I was good to go. Like anything else I knew I could improvise. Right. So let's take some examples. And another example might be like a baby monitor, 
right? So with a new baby, you have a baby monitor so that you can hear the baby. And then when does it see the baby? We could hear the baby, but nowadays people can uh, do a lot more with technology. Okay. And that is exactly my point. Oh, yeah. I know people that have baby monitors that are cameras that are cameras, HD cameras, and they keep the baby monitor in there until the kid, I had one dad where I said his daughter was 12. This is an extreme situation, but he needed to take the baby monitor out. It didn't have a camera on it, for goodness sake, but he had a baby monitor in his daughter's bedroom and she was 12 years old because he was imagining and constantly playing in his head horrible things that could happen to her while she was sleeping. Wow. Now, the argument for people engaging in this kind of worry, in this kind of rehearsal, is that what's the downside? That's the argument that they make. Because if you can do something that is going to prevent a bad thing from happening, then why wouldn't you do it? And that's what he said to me. Why wouldn't I keep the baby monitor in her bedroom? Because if somebody does break into her room to steal her, I'll hear it. Why wouldn't I do that? It's a simple thing that I can do to prevent this tragedy from happening. So why don't you do that? Here's the reason. Because you are consistently telling your children and showing your children and telling yourself that the world is a dangerous place. Now, I don't disagree that there are a lot of dangers in the world, but one thing we know about kids that are raised by anxious parents is that they perceive the world as a dangerous, more dangerous place than kids that aren't, which means that they don't develop the ability to assess reasonable risk. Because they are just painting the world with this broad, catastrophic, very worried brush. And being able to help our kids differentiate and help ourselves differentiate between when do we take reasonable action to prevent something or to be on top of something or plan something, and when do we cross that line that says, life is a tragedy waiting to happen and my job is to get in the way of every possible thing that could happen, or you might pick a few things that really you know, are your hot buttons. You're giving your child the message that the world is not to be explored that risks are never to be taken, and that oftentimes they can't go far from you because they haven't figured out how to take all the steps that you take that make sure that things go smoothly. That's one of the ways we we know when worry has become a problem is that it's inhibiting your kids' exploration, their adventure, their growth, all of the things that we want for kids to develop because they need practice stepping into the world, not practice preventing every bad thing from happening. Well, I think the parents need to hear this message as much as the kids. I mean, this is a, it's so common. It's so, so common. Mm-hmm. There are certain situations or certain circumstances that hit one parent or hit one person in a way that doesn't hit another person. So it depends on your fears. So as a parent, for example, if you are really afraid of throwing up, if you hate throwing up, I've got young people now in my practice that say that they are never going to have children because they don't want to be pregnant and maybe throw up. And they also know that kids throw up. So if you are one of those adults who had that fear, then you may go to great lengths to try and prevent you or your children from throwing up. Now, think of what that entails. Think of what you will do. I had another parent that was overly worried about choking. Now, 
We pay attention to that. When kids are little, we pay attention to the things that we feed them and don't feed them. And maybe even we go to a first aid, you know, the the Red Cross puts on those classes so that we can learn those skills in case that there's a problem. But I've had families where the kids were not allowed to eat anything unless they were in the presence of the parent. So if they got up in the morning and went downstairs and the parents were still sleeping, you know how that happens, like when your kids are four or five. If the parents were out of the house for whatever reason, even if the children had a babysitter, the kids weren't allowed to put anything in their mouth except for liquids because the parents were so worried about choking. So it can happen in those specific ways, but then you also just have this sort of overall generalized worry where you're consistently trying to make sure that nothing happens in all sorts of ways which means that your parenting language is all about being careful, watch out, don't do that. We can't do that. That's too dangerous. You're not safe. That kind of worry, not only is it terrible for you as a parent, but it really is a risk factor for developing an anxious kid. You know, a lot of people, especially women, will say that I've talked to at our retreats or our letters, they'll say, I really didn't have anxiety myself until I became a mom. And I think it's important to note here that when you do become a mom and you're raising small humans and the stakes are so high, Mm -hmm. then things really kind of do ramp up. But people should understand that what is rammed up are patterns that were already present, that were modeled for you, how were you raised, etc. They didn't start in a vacuum right there. But I think that most people, wouldn't you say most people, I mean, even you, when you were a new mom, like being a new mom ramps everything up. And oh my gosh, yes. And then what happens after that sort of is like what where the variations are. Right, exactly. And I'm not saying that as a parent, you're not going to worry because worry is a part of being a human being because we have this capacity to imagine things that haven't happened. That's why we worry. But oh, for sure. So the worry shows up. You're a new mom. You're worried. And then it does depend a lot on the people that are around you. You know, who are you parenting with? What are your role models for parenting? Who are you going to for advice about your parenting? Right. Partners and grandparents and aunties. and and Yeah. yeah. Who's modeling how to manage all of this new worry? Right. It's going to matter. I'll give you a good example of it going too far. And I think this is an example from my brother. Not, Not that I think he told me this. Your husband. I think he told me this, so like, I'm not sure. I can't like, remember. Like, let me tell you an example of something that went too far in yeah. your family, Robin. In your family. Yeah. <laughs> let, remember that time? Yeah. So the parents were very, very worried about their baby and their toddler sleeping. Wait, are you talking about they, are they me and your husband? I mean, no, 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 no. I think I'm, what I'm saying is I think he told me this story. Oh, oh, okay. This is not I a story he, about us. No, no, this is not a story about these two people named Bobbin and <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so no, I think, I think my brother told me this story. Oh, gotcha. I think it's somebody that he knows. Maybe you know too, but I can't remember. You can ask him. So they were very, very worried about the, the sleep. Okay. Kids getting enough sleep. And on their stairs, walking down their wooden stairs in their house, it made a lot of creaks. And so the parent took that blue 
painting tape yeah. and put little X's on all the places on the stairs that you couldn't step because it would make the stairs creak and might wake up the baby. That was That's going too far, right? I don't know who that was. Okay. Yeah. And I think that the dad also wasn't allowed to pee standing up because the <laughs> urine... I'm serious. The urine made too much noise in the toilet water. And so I think he had to pee sitting down or else he had to take toilet paper and make like a little like a little toilet paper barrier and he could pee onto the toilet paper because the sound of his pee hitting the toilet water could also wake the child up. That's going too far, everybody. Don't do that, right? But there are times when you're worried about something. Let's just take travel, right? I mean, this is something that you do all the time. I want to get back to the pee, the painter's tape, and the stairs. Okay. So it's funny you say that because this I don't know who this was. We do have creaky stairs, and they're right outside of my son's bedroom when he was a baby. So you're saying, though, that if repeatedly, I think he's asleep, and so I've extracted him from my lap, and I've got him in his crib, and I start coming down the Mm -hmm. stairs, and that same step repeatedly wakes him up. Well, then, yeah, then you're going to figure out how to not step on that step, right? Because then that's problem solved. Okay. So then then let's talk about the distinction. This family, wasn't that what they were probably doing? Have you ever been in somebody's house where there's blue painter's tape <laughs> on every step and they say, right? So if this is a trend, I missed it. Okay, but you know made. what? I, I, point made. I remember as a kid, we lived on a cul-de-sac with a whole bunch of little kids, tons of little kids on this cul-de-sac. And maybe even my mom put up a sign, but do you remember there would be signs on people's front doors that said, baby sleeping, please don't ring the doorbell? Yes. Right. And I think now we don't like the drop in doesn't happen as much as it used to. But that's good problem solving. If you ring the doorbell, the dog is going to bark and the baby's going to wake up. Right. right. So it's a matter of problem solving. It's just a matter of degree of how much you practice something. Here's another distinction, too. If it's something that's likely to happen, if every time you step on that creaky step, your baby wakes up or somebody rings the doorbell and the dog barks and wakes the baby up, then you're going to take some action. It's sort of like you were talking about how your son tends to vomit in the morning when you go to the airport, when you go to the airplane. And so you take some steps to sort of deal with that, right? Yeah, I have a puker. Yeah, you have a puker. And he pukes. Right. It's it's bizarre. But like if we have an early morning flight and we have to wake him up before 6 a.m., mm-hmm. guaranteed, yeah. he has to throw up at the airport. Yeah. But he also, I didn't even know that being afraid of puking was a thing until yeah. we were doing the podcast and talking about yeah. it. So I learned it was a thing. So we, the first time he did it, I was on offense of like, mm-hmm. oh, how annoying. Oh, like, right. Played it cool. So now he literally can walk down um, a terminal, go, oh, I think I'm going to puke, walk over to a trash can, puke in the trash can and keep on walking. Right. So you've problem solved. And maybe you have, I don't know if you carry with you a bag just in case or whatever, but you've problem solved. But the worrying, which would be the example of practicing, um, I was just talking to somebody actually who has to fly to a wedding. It's a young adult and she's nervous about flying. And she said to me, like, when you're on a plane, babies are crying, people are puking. I was like, <laughs> sometimes a baby cries, but it's not like you're sitting on there and you're like at a, you know. Yeah. It's not like people are throwing up all yeah, around yeah. you either. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually never, I've never seen somebody else throw up on an airplane. 
No, I haven't either. And I know people do, but I, and you, and, when I was at summer camp, there's these sisters who were at my camp. They were very funny. And they said that when they were like t- teens, right? So yeah. and they lived internationally. So they, you know, they flew overseas a lot. They were flying in for our camp. They said that they often would have these very not so nice flight attendants. So they would figure out a way to fill a motion sickness bag. Oh. And then as oh. they left the plane, they were like, have a good flight. They would hand oh, the bag God. that felt a little heavy to the flight attendant. And they would go, thank you. Oh. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh. Bye-bye. Just made me think oh, of that. Oh, God, that's good. Well, I have another travel example, actually. So, so, although my son is a champion puker, I referenced a trip we just took in another episode because we saw this girl sort of really freak out and have an internal battle about the water slide. Mm-hmm. So, my son and I were flying together. And, you know, we're usually flying as a family. So, mm-hmm. here we were together. And I noted that he was incredibly paranoid about me having my purse and my phone. Like as we would get up and move around, do you have your purse? Do you have your phone? Mm -hmm. One time I was like, okay, yeah, I've got it. And then he's like, zip up your purse because his father's always saying, zip up your purse. So he's seen that modeled. So he's like, zip up your purse. And then he would also just like take my bag and make sure everything was all set. Mm -hmm. In fairness, the four of us were flying on a plane and he put his phone in the bag from the food court. Yep. And then eventually that food court bag ended up in the trash. So when yeah. when the, he was like, I can't find my phone. And then they came to tell me, we can't find our phone. I you know, I was like, you know what? Maybe it's in that bag. You had me give the flight attendant. So the phone was retrieved. So he had that happen where he almost lost his phone, but he was being crazy attentive about me always having, do you have everything you need? Do you have everything you need? Mm-hmm. So I knew I needed to say something to him. Mm-hmm. Because it went over the line. It went over the line. You yeah. gave me a great example, not me, but you said something in another episode where I said, and you can tell me what else I should say, because I have a feeling this is still with us and I'll need to mm-hmm. work with him again on it. Mm-hmm. But I said, look, I know you lost your phone before and we had to find it and that would have been a a yucky situation. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between taking it too far. It's fine to recognize something could happen, but problem solve and let it go. So for example, there's a difference between you and I have just left the doctor's office and I want to check and make sure my phone is in my purse. I've checked to make sure I didn't leave my phone on the counter at the doctor's office. But if I were to keep checking that my phone was there, like, exactly. that's like, that's wackadoodle, right? Right. Yeah. And and so before I leave the house, like when we, when I'm going to go speak, I have this black bag that I carry with me and it has all the stuff in it that I need to speak. And we just do a check. And my husband says, just do your check. And I know what I need to, I need to have my laptop, my power cord, my dongles, my wallet. Like I just do that quick check. And that is problem solving. If I was driving in the car and I kept checking and checking and checking, or if my husband kept saying to me, did you do your check? Can you check again? Are you sure? Because remember, that's one of Worry's stock phrases is, are you sure? And that's when it becomes problematic. As you're listening to this, you want to recognize how often are you doing it? 
And it may be that you're constantly saying something over and over and over again, or it may be that there's just constant chatter about what could happen in all sorts of different situations. So that's how we look at worry is that you're practicing for this tragedy or practicing for this bad outcome that's not happening. So if something has happened, like somebody has just thrown up or you did throw the phone in the trash, or you did just spill water on your laptop and ruin it, then it is absolutely normal for a period of time to be kind of vigilant about that, to pay attention to that. So when bad things do happen, either big bad things or little bad things, it is absolutely normal for kids and for you as a parent to put some extra attention toward that. But what we're looking at is this pattern of consistently rehearsing seeing the horrible thing, imagining the horrible thing, and then acting as if it's about to happen or it could happen or it's going to happen, and then talking to your kids about that bad outcome all the time. That's what worriers do. Let's take a break. And when we come back, I think we should talk about the less mundane worries too. Mm -hmm. I have a really good example that I'm going to give you of somebody who worked through this. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. I know with my kids, we really wanted to help them see the cause and effect, right? If you spend money now, you're not going to have it later. If you earn money now and you save it, maybe you can put it towards some big purchase that you're looking forward to. This is called financial literacy, and it allows kids to build independence, to learn how money works, to make them better savers, better spenders. The Greenlight app also comes with an in-app financial literacy game. It's called Level Up, so that kids can build money confidence through videos, bite-sized challenges, mini games, and more. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then, like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. It's in-network with most major insurers. There's no need to commute to appointments. You won't miss time at work or have to line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist so you don't have to wait for your next session. Therapy can help you shift your perspective and find tools to cope in difficult times. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. 
Okay, so now back to the show. Okay, so Robin, before we went on the break, you said, let's talk about the not so mundane things that people worry about. So are you thinking about something in particular? I think about my own like patterns of this are always related to the news. You know, there's not really things I have a lot of control over. Right. So I don't know. I And I also want to interject a little bit for people who've been listening to the podcast a while. I sort of self-describe myself as a catastrophizer. But after having read the anxiety audit, and we actually talk about this in our upcoming book club that we're going to oh. do for the anxiety audit. But there's actually, well, inadvertent, but there's a distinction based on like how far you take things. And so I realized I'm not a catastrophizer because I don't let my worry lead to the point where I stop the thing, right? I do a lot in the world and I don't really let my worry prevent me from doing things. But that doesn't mean it doesn't give me a good run for my money in my head occasionally. Yeah. And it does. I mean, that's the important thing. And when you say listening to the news, it was funny because before we got on this, my husband said, what are you guys going to talk about on the podcast? And I said, we're going to talk about worry. And we then we had a good laugh like, ha ha ha. Uh, what a great topic. But I said specifically talking about how people rehearse tragedies and how it goes too far. And he said, it's the news. It's when you watch the news. He said, the more that I immerse myself in the bad things that are happening in the world, the more that I will worry about what I hear on the news, right? You hear about something bad happening to a kid or you, it even happens in our own lives. You know, you hear somebody getting diagnosed with cancer. And so you worry about that. You hear about somebody, you know, me, I'm a biker. So I hear about somebody getting hit by a car on their bike and I will be more conscious and worrying about that. So it's very normal for us to worry for a period of time about something that we heard about something that happened. Well, I have yeah. to tell you, so this is like, we'll have to do another postscript of our anxiety and marriage episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the news this week has been about choosing and finally selecting a speaker of the house. Right. And so I said to my husband, we're like in the bathroom brushing our teeth. And I said, you know, this prolonged process, I confess, I'm starting to catastrophize. I said the word catastrophize in this sentence, but I don't mean literally. You know, I was like, I'm starting to catastrophize a little bit about what the implications of this could be. But he just turns to me and he goes, well, good luck with that. And left the room. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so great because, it, you know, it, well, he's like, well, I know this pattern. Yeah, right. He's just like, right. he's like, good luck with that. It was so funny. But I laughed and I actually stopped thinking about it. And it was a great moment like that I think we have worked towards. Well, I had an interesting thing happen with that, too, because I was also paying attention to this. And I have been trying to stay off Twitter. I mean, there was a period of time where I was really on it a lot prior to a previous election. And so I was looking at Twitter a little bit. And man, I found this thread that was so unbelievably catastrophic. And I was reading it. I was like, oh my God, oh, that could happen. That could happen. And I stopped myself. And guess what? It didn't happen. The thing that they said that was going to happen didn't happen. So we get lessons all the time that the things that we're catastrophizing about or worrying about don't happen. Yes. The thing that makes this hard is that bad things do happen. Right. So the thing I want parents to hear is bad things happen. They do. Tragedies happen. Little bad things happen and big bad things happen. The point of this whole conversation is that you don't have to rehearse 
the bad thing happening when it hasn't happened. So putting yourself through that whole scenario, putting yourself through it emotionally, as if you're having a bad dream, as if you're watching a terrible movie of your own life, that's the place where we want to pay attention because it really is torturing yourself. Sure. For people who do have this pattern where it does torture themselves a bit and to the point where it shapes their daily choices, how do you break out of it? I think that's what you were going to tell us. Yeah. Well, there's a. will give you a good example because I just had a conversation with a lovely person about this. Here's what happened. I'll, I'll give you this example. So this is a young woman who's in college, very capable, very high achieving, very perfectionistic. And she's been working on this. And she was telling me the story. We were talking about worrying. We were bringing up this example of being able to handle something when it happens because she had just gone through finals. She had just gone through her exams. And she had handled it really well. And I said, can you think of an example of that that you've done in the past? Because you're really getting the hang of this. And she said she was a runner and she was a very good runner going to big meets, et cetera. And right before a huge end of the year meet, she pulled a muscle in her leg. She injured her leg. And she couldn't compete in the way that she wanted to compete. But she handled it because there were some modifications that she had to make to her schedule. There were some modifications she had to make to her training. But she didn't know when she got to the meet whether or not her leg would hold up. And I said, okay, so walk me through how you handled that because that's quite a success. She said, so I, I hurt my leg. She said, you know what? The thing I worried about as an athlete running This was my biggest fear. I thought all the time about what if I get hurt? What if I get hurt? What if I get hurt? What if I can't compete? What if something happens? And she said, and then it happened. And what I realized was when it actually happened, it was totally a bummer, but I went into problem solving mode. Was I pleased about this? I was not. But she said, I surprised myself in my ability to think this through, to handle it and to come out the other side. And here I sit having gone through this experience and it was tough, but it wasn't this catastrophic, devastating, horrible nightmare that I had worried about all that time. And it was really wonderful to hear her step by step talk about what she said to herself, which was, okay, this is a bummer. This happens. This is not an unusual thing to happen. Now I have to talk to my coaches. I have to get the treatment that I need. I have to modify my schedule. And she started problem solving. And then actually the experience was okay. It wasn't great because she couldn't do all her events. But that's where we want to get to. Thinking that if something does happen, which will happen, people, bad things happen in life, big bad things and little bad things. If you can say to yourself and you can say to your kids, when something happens, we will get through it. We will move through it. This is when people experience loss, when they're in the throes of grief, when people get fired from a job, when people get rejected, when people get injured, when people get sick. These things happen. My experience in talking to a lot of people about this for a long time is that they actually handle the circumstance better than they thought they would. And they did all of this rehearsing and all of this catastrophizing and all of this torture that didn't really help them when the bad thing actually happened. It wasn't like they said, oh, I'm so glad that I rehearsed this for the last 10 years because now it's so easy that I rehearsed it. No, they handle it. It's painful. It's hard. It's difficult. But they handle it. And that's what I want families to understand. The rehearsal and the imagining does not translate into making it easier or simpler or less complicated if it does happen. 
And what's in our heads is always worse because in our heads, we can imagine typically something that's so much worse than what this client experienced when she did, in fact, really injure herself. I mean, but that's applicable to everything. It's always good to help acknowledge I'm imagining a worst case scenario that's got a cherry on top. And typically, if something like this were to happen, it's not even going to be as extreme as my worrying brain is creating it. Right. Because the worrying brain can go as far as it can possibly go. Right. Yeah. It's like take it out of the abstract because the abstract is limitless with how terrible something could be. It sounds like what you're really talking about, it's about mindset. It's about making choices to not think about and to recognize certain patterns are, are ones you want to leave. Right. To really make room. I mean, you, you really have to make room that bad things happen. And this is worry. When I talk to parents that are really worried, they don't want to have any discussion about it. They don't want to talk about it. They always want to make sure bad things don't happen. It is really okay to acknowledge that life is full of ups and downs. Life is full, days are full of ups and downs. And the goal is not to prevent bad things from happening. Doesn't mean that we're careless. It doesn't mean that you say to kids, no seatbelts. But we know that life is going to be full of these things. The goal is to give our kids the ability, the connection, the modeling that when bad things happen, how do we manage them? Worry is not about managing bad things. It's about imagining bad things, freaking out about bad things, and then trying to prevent bad things from happening. So as a worrier, what you are doing to yourself and what you're doing to your kids is you're just making them watch the stories of things that haven't happened yet, rather than instill these larger skills and these larger supports to manage when bad things do happen. That's the difference. Being able to know that if something bad happens, that you have the ability to fill in the blank, right? You have the ability to connect with other people. You have the ability to ask for help. You have the ability to feel your feelings and know that they're not going to overwhelm you. You have the ability to know that this feeling isn't going to last forever. Those are the things that we want to teach our kids, not just absorb and marinate in the bad things that happen in the world and stop there because that's what worry wants you to do. It wants you to stop there. I just always think of this one image. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. This did happen. And I always think of it in my head when you talk about certain things. I was on a plane flying overseas. So they had movies in the screens, but this was way before movies on demand. And the system went wacky. And this was in the 90s during Independence Day, the film about the war with the aliens. And so all of a sudden, every screen in the back seat of the plane kept replaying this one scene from Independence Day of a little flying saucer style ship crashing in the desert. But it was always the crash, the earth impact scene, and it was on a loop and it just kept playing. And it just made me laugh so hard because I'm not afraid of flying. And I was like, oh my gosh, the people afraid and nervous to fly are freaking out right now. Yes. But I think it's such a, the fact that it was happening, what, to like these 400 people, all the different responses of the passengers to that moment. Some people like me were just thinking it was very funny. But obviously, the people who did not find this funny, what was their next response? Yeah. 
And it would be the same if we had like vomit on a plane. All the different responses that people would have. Some people would be like, oh, somebody's throwing up. Some people would be like, oh, I feel sorry for that mom who has to deal with that. Some people would be like, what is happening? That's kind of the ink blot of life, right? Things happen. And then what do we put on that? How do we interpret that? What do we do with that information? If you're listening to the news and your response all the time is to imagine that happening to you and then get really freaked out about it, then you got to pay attention to the information that comes at you and what you do with it. Right. It's a great chance to decide to simply read your news instead of watch Mm -hmm. your news. Yes, that's true. Although I know people that read the news too, and they're really, they're really good. I mean, people who catastrophize, people who are real worriers in this way. And like you say, the catastrophizing is you get to the place where you feel very hopeless, right? You're like, well, that's going to happen. Well, I guess that's how it is. But pay attention to the language of worry. We want to normalize it. It's going to happen. I do it too. I do it all the time. I hear about something and I can run that story through my head. And then I say to myself, do you really have to keep doing this? Do you really have to keep replaying this over and over and over in your head? You don't. And I know, I know about myself. I truly know this is that I will handle what life throws at me. If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.